0: I invite you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in your Bibles. We're going to narrow our scope here for the sermon. We've talked about uh, things on the macro level, kingdom of God, heaven, nations, our nation. And we're just going to sort of, we sort of expanded our scope and now we're going to shrink our scope back down. And we're going to talk about uh, relationships, we're moving through the book of 1 Corinthians this summer, and we, we jumped back in last week, and I didn't want to jump back out again this week. I thought it would be good to just continue our course. And we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 6. This was how we ended last week's sermon, and is how we're going to begin this week's sermon. And we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 through 11 this morning. Before we begin verse 6, a little context from the previous verses. Paul was just giving some instruction about marriage. And specifically he was saying marriage uh, is one avenue through which God can protect you from the sexual temptation that you will certainly experience in this world. And then he goes on in verse 6. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. Now let's pray before we begin to really look at these verses in depth. Father, I always want to pray before I preach because I know this uh, is about you and your Holy Spirit powerfully impressing your word upon our hearts, and that I can't I can't bring that about in my power. And so we certainly ask for you to do that. But then also, this is a difficult passage that touches on some emotionally fraught issues. Uh, It it touches in some areas where we, people we love and care deeply about, people in our own families, uh, may potentially be very raw still from very painful experiences in relationships. And so we come to you under the umbrella of your grace in Jesus Christ and the peace and the reconciliation we enjoy with you through Christ, and I just pray that your word would be clear and that your Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth now, in Jesus' name, amen. The, the first thing for us to note as we get into these verses is that Marriage is conceded, not commanded. I'm going to have to explain what I mean by that. But look at verses 6 and 7, which is where I get that point from. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, that people should get married in order to avoid sexual temptation, is what he was referring to. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Marriage is conceded here. It is permitted. It is allowed. It is perhaps encouraged in many situations, but it is not mandatory. It is not commanded. In other words, it's okay to be single and to stay singled. Singled. single. Now, this idea that marriage is not necessarily the ideal state for a Christian was groundbreaking. I mean, it's a little bit groundbreaking for us in our culture, but it was majorly groundbreaking for the early Christians that came out of the Jewish tradition, which is where we came from. If you remember back to the Garden of Eden, God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for man to be alone, and yet here Paul is saying, "It's good for the unmarried and widows to stay single." This is this is groundbreaking teaching here. This is changing things. You know, in Eden there was no singleness. Once Adam and Eve were created, and marriage was not only universal; it was only one couple, but it was central to everything that God meant for humanity to be doing. Be fruitful and multiply. Marriage was the central vehicle for God's purposes for humanity in the Garden of Eden. And then you look at God's creation of Israel when he calls Abraham out. And Israel's whole history throughout the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. Marriage remains pretty central to what God is doing through his people as they continue to expand and spread out the nation of Israel, spread it as families grew and spread. Uh, singleness wasn't unheard of, but it was rare and uh, it was unusual, it was uncommon, and it was definitely undesirable. As you read through the Old Testament, singleness was an undesirable condition to find yourself in. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it, but it was left you very vulnerable, and it sort of pulled you out of the stream of what God was doing in His people's throughout His people's history. So, marriage was the norm throughout Israel, and singleness was uncommon and undesirable. And yet, here with Christ we get this big shift in how marriage is talked about and looked at. Marriage remains the norm for the early church and throughout the New Testament, but singleness begins to be spoken of as advantageous. And it's the first time in the history of God's people that singleness begins to be talked about this way. And then in heaven, if we were to to continue going, we won't talk much about this, but Jesus teaches that in heaven, in the end, there will be no marriage. Singleness will be, again, universal. So we're moving. There's a progression of thought throughout the whole Scripture. And we're in this stage that Christ initiated with the new covenant, in which marriage remains the norm, but singleness becomes advantageous. And I believe throughout, as time goes on, will become increasingly advantageous as persecution rises and as God's kingdom work intensifies. Now, what I find helpful about this, as a married Christian guy who thinks a lot about marriage, does a lot of premarital counseling, I got to perform Andrew and, James, Andrew and Lauren Jameson's wedding last weekend, which was awesome. Um, I get to be involved with y'all's wedding, which is awesome, I'm excited about. Uh, it's one of the highest pleasures I have as a pastor. But this helps me keep marriage in the proper perspective. It's because there's two extremes that that you could fall in in American culture and as a Christian in America. One, our culture is definitely devaluing marriage. Over time, marriage as an institution is becoming just less and less valued. Uh, Rules about it are becoming less and less strict. Divorce has become more and more common. And now even the foundations of it being between a man and a woman are in question culturally. And so as Christians, we see this devaluing of marriage and we say, no, no, no. We need to preserve marriage, protect marriage. And I think that's good and right, but we can, if we're not careful, go too far and idolize marriage and see marriage as this high ideal, as the ideal for the Christian life when Jesus and Paul, the Holy Spirit and the new covenant doesn't teach that. It's not necessarily the ideal state for every Christian. Some people are given... A gift of one kind where they are married and they glorify God through their marriage. Some Christians are given a gift of another kind where they're single and they glorify God through their singleness. Both are presented as glorious. Marriage is undeniably presented as glorious in the scripture. Look at Ephesians 5 and how marriage is this living portrayal of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's this living daily uh, play lived out where the husband loves the wife like Christ loved the church. The wife loves the husband like the church loves Christ. And it's just this daily living witness of the gospel, and that's glorious and it's awesome. But at the same time, we have to admit, if we look at the whole teaching of the New Testament, there's really not a ton in there about marriage. There's way more in there about how we're to relate to each other as Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. And singleness itself is presented also as glorious. And Paul's going to talk a lot about that couple weeks from now as we get deeper into chapter 7. So we need to keep marriage in its proper perspective, and this passage helps us do that. Then he moves on into uh, verses 8 and following with some specifics, and we're going to look at these specifics. The first specific instructions has to do with unmarried people and widows. Let's read verses 8 and 9. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good For them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Being unmarried or widowed was dangerous in old covenant Jewish life. It was undesirable. You were extremely vulnerable Uh, They had practices put in place to protect you from ever being in that position because through your family is how God protected you and provided for you. So they had a system where if, if your husband died and you were widowed, his brother could marry you, and that way you would be protected, and you could continue that family name, which is also centrally important in the Old Covenant, the covenant with Israel. And yet here Paul says it's good to remain single. Now, he's still balanced. He's still not saying everybody should be single, all, anybody and everybody should be single. That's the holy thing to do. If you really want to be holy, no matter how much you, you love him or her, don't marry. You're married to God. Go be a monk. Go be a priest and be celibate no matter how much it hurts because you're holier that way. He's more balanced than that. He's not saying that. Marriage is good and singleness is good. And if you can do it, He recommends singleness if you're unmarried or widowed. Now let's look at the second set of specifics. Now he turns toward married people and divorced people. Verses 10 through 11. To the married I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. So that's significant. So... Throughout the rest of this passage, you're going to see him kind of balancing back and forth between things he recommends and things that are commanded. And you're also going to see him bouncing back and forth between things that are that are directly from the Lord, things that Jesus himself taught and are recorded and he heard from Jesus directly, and things that he is teaching under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Both of those are authoritative, but you'll see him make these careful distinctions. And here he's making the distinction What I'm about to say is a charge that I didn't make up. This comes directly from Jesus Christ, our Lord. To the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, this is a simple charge from our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't require a great deal of study to understand what he's saying, but it's not an easy one. It's straightforward, but it it is hard. It is difficult, and it's firm. If you're married, don't separate or divorce. And that's not me saying that, and that's not, not even Paul under inspiration of the Holy Spirit saying that. That's Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, remembering that Jesus said that. If you're married, don't separate or get a divorce. If you're divorced, you have not committed the unpardonable sin. The recommendation, the charge here, don't remarry. Stay single. Now, he gets this. I want to read where he gets this from in Matthew chapter 19. This is a lengthy passage, and I know I always run the risk of putting everybody to sleep when I read a lengthy passage. Hang with me. Matthew chapter 19, we'll begin at verse 1 to get a little context. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he had been doing some teaching, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees, came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. That's the new reality. As two people enter the marriage covenant, there's a real change. They're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? This is in the Old Testament law. Moses makes provision for divorce. And it has to be done with a certificate. You can't just say, well, I divorce you and verbally just make it so. It has, if you're going to do this, it's got to be done in official capacity for the protection of everybody involved so that, so that it's clear. Verse 8, Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, and this is really the central verse for our purposes and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So there's, there's a couple of things to notice in this verse. Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality. So there's the notion here that the marriage covenant is damaged so significantly through the act of adultery that in that case, sometimes it is permitted and perhaps best to end the marriage, to divorce. Adultery is serious. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So what we see here is divorce is one thing, Divorce and remarriage is another thing. Jesus doesn't want married people, his people, to get divorced. But there's this realism here. We are all so messed up by sin. We hurt each other in a thousand different ways, not even knowing it. And in marriage, uh, one of the closest human relationships, that can become so intensified, and it can become so complex. And people do get divorced. Uh, I have many people that I love very dearly uh, in my family, in my church, you know my the Christian circle uh, people I love who have gotten divorced for all variety of reasons because it gets so very complicated. But here Jesus's teaching is just so simple, so firm, so straightforward. don't get divorced now if if there's been sexual immorality, if there's been adultery, then that may be something we need to pray through and think through very seriously. But otherwise, don't get divorced. And if you do get divorced, if you have gotten divorced, don't remarry. And he calls it adultery. If you divorce your spouse for a reason other than sexual immorality and remarry another person, in his eyes, you're still one flesh with that original spouse. And so for you to marry another person is adultery. And I I can't dare to soften that. I want to because I know many people in that situation who perhaps weren't taught that this was the case. And so I want to soften it because I, you know, I don't like hurting people. But this is the straightforward teaching of Scripture. Marriage is binding. It's so serious. I, I emphasize this for a long time with anybody that I enter into premarital counseling with. This is serious. It is binding for life in the eyes of God. It is becoming one flesh. It is not something to enter into lightly because there is no exit apart from sin or death. Marriage is binding. Now, perhaps this is something that Paul still has in mind later in chapter 7 when he starts again into the virtues and the advantages of singleness and the freedoms of singleness. Now, what do we take away from these, these verses uh, that may be unfamiliar to some, but are actually pretty straightforward? One, just some closing application before we pray. As Christians, we need to embrace singleness as an advantageous, an advantageous status. Singleness is good. Singleness is good. We need a church culture where single people don't feel out of place because they're not in a marriage relationship and in a family. We need a church culture where the, the sibling love is growing increasingly rich to where we all feel like brothers and sisters, regardless of marital status. We need a culture of hospitality where our doors are open to one another across this this cultural divide of family status. And I know that's difficult, especially when you have kids. It feels like the easiest thing to do is to hang out with people that are just like you. That's just the way it always is. The easiest thing is to hang out with people like you. When you're single, you hang out with other single people because that's what your lifestyles are parallel when you're married without kids or newly married, you hang out with other newly married without kids people because your lives are parallel. When you're married with little screaming babies, if you're going to hang out with anybody, you want it to be other families with little screaming babies so you don't look like a terrible parent who can't control your offspring. Now, when you're married and your kid's a little older, you want to hang out with families with kids a similar age because you're just in the same parallel. You, this is our natural bent. We're, like is drawn to like, but in the kingdom of God... That's not how it works. We're we're drawn this whole diversity of people like we've been talking about. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people group, every race, every socioeconomic status, and every family situation. Single people, married people, people with kids, grandkids, divorced people, people who are divorced and remarried, people with situations far more complicated than any of that. All coming together under the umbrella of God's grace and love for us through Jesus Christ—a bunch of forgiven sinners drawn together as siblings in the family of god it's, it's beautiful. It's meant to be beautiful, and I think that the more we mature as a church, and I believe we are maturing as a church, our fellowship will begin to look more like that. And we're we're pretty we're pretty similar to each other right now in our fellowship. There's little a little bit of diversity here and there. Uh, Some people are conservative. Some people are really, really conservative. That was kind of a joke. But I think that as we continue to mature, we're going to see more diversity of all types, and that's good, and that honors God. Another closing application, uh, if you're married, reaffirm reaffirm your commitment that divorce is not ever an option. Just, just don't even let that door be cracked open in your mind that it's even a potential option. You know, in God's eyes, it's not. And so in our eyes, as submissive to God, it can't be. And there could be great security in that, knowing that your spouse is not going to leave you or forsake you because you're in a binding, lifelong covenant. It is beautiful and it's good. I also recognize that sometimes it doesn't feel beautiful it doesn't feel good because sometimes married partners aren't at the same place. Sometimes uh, maybe you got married, you're both not Christians. One of you became a Christian, and now you're what the Bible calls unequally yoked. One spouse is trying to live as a Christian. The other isn't. Well, Paul's going to go all into that next passage, so I'm not going to get into that now. But I just want to recognize it, I know... It gets complicated. I know it gets hard. God knows that. God loves you. God doesn't put, a, 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 God doesn't put responsibilities on you to be harsh or mean or cruel. He, he puts these things around us to protect us because he loves us. And so you can seek counsel, seek help if you're in a difficult marital situation, but don't entertain the idea of divorce. Third, if you are divorced i just reiterate Paul's instruction to remain single or pursue reconciliation. Those are really the two avenues that God gives. Again, recognizing how complex it gets. If you've gotten to that point of divorce, you have walked a, a difficult and heartbreaking road. And I understand that. And I love you. God loves you. You've not committed some unpardonable sin. Uh, The grace of Jesus Christ has forgiven me for all my sins that I know all about and I'm not about to tell you all. He can forgive you. Um, Before we settled on a a church family and figured out what we were going to do, after we moved back down here from Raleigh, we were living with Dave and Sandy, Meredith's parents, for about six months trying to figure out what we were going to do. And we visited churches around and one of the churches we visited was Arlington Baptist Church. And the Sunday we went, this couple gave a testimony, and they had just gotten remarried to each other. After they had been married for several years, gotten divorced, and lived divorced for 10 years, the Lord brought them back together, reconciled them, and they got remarried. And it's the only testimony like that I've ever heard. But it was awesome. It, we all rejoice so much in that. that. That's the sort of stuff God can do. He can do those things. And then lastly, if you or someone very close to you that you love, admire, is married, divorced, not due to sexual immorality or adultery, and remarried, just again, I want to land on the gospel. You know, that's not the way God designed it. That's not what he wanted for you or for the people that you love any more than, than they wanted that. But we're here because we need God's grace, All each and every one of us. It may not be that your marriage was the clearest portrayal to you of how much you need grace, but you need grace for your sin. I need grace for my sin. We all do. And so for all of us in light of this, let's land on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank God in Christ there is no condemnation. There's forgiveness, cleansing, and direction for even some of the the most specific details of life in his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus for us so that we could be forgiven for how we mess things up. And we can mess things up so mightily. And I just ask for all of us that you would instruct us from these passages we've read how to glorify you in our relationships in every regard, but particularly If we're single in our singleness, if we're married in our marriages, and even by the grace of Jesus Christ, if we are divorced in our divorce, in our life after marriage, and even by the grace, by your grace through Christ, if we are divorced and remarried, Lord, show us all how to move forward in a way that pleases you, honors you, reflects your glory and your goodness. May we be free from condemnation, free from idolizing any particular family status, free to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen.